one of the most encouraging and compelling tools that we have in building relationships is the power of an invitation, uh, a kind invitation uh, from a neighbor to have dinner at their house, uh, a thoughtful invitation to a Christmas party, uh, a warm invitation to have coffee with a friend that knows you need to talk. Invitations are intended to draw people in and to offer them something good. They're intended to draw people in and to offer them something good. And this morning, I want to explore with you a critical invitation that we find in the Bible. It is the invitation of wisdom. The invitation of wisdom. We are beginning 2023 with a two-week mini-series in Proverbs chapter 1. One of our members, Alex Grant, uh, kicked us off last week, New Year's Day, uh, with the first portion of Proverbs 1. He preached verses 1 through 19. And this morning, I carry that forward and finish Proverbs 1, working through verses 20 through 23. We see here... In Proverbs 1, two primary images. The image that Alex worked through last Sunday was the image of a father, a faithful father seeking to impart instruction, wisdom to his beloved son. Proverbs verse 1, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, hear my son, your father's instruction. So this tender father drawing near to his son whom he loves, imparting wisdom to him. That's the, the image that we see in the first part of Proverbs chapter 1. And then in the latter part, the portion that I'm preaching, we see another image. This time it's not a faithful father, it's Lady Wisdom. A wise, experienced woman, a sage of sorts, out of the marketplace, offering wisdom to every passerby. Calling out, crying out, offering wisdom to the foolish. And so I want to invite you to explore this wonderful invitation in Proverbs chapter 1, the invitation of wisdom. Let's turn there in our Bibles. The Bibles we've provided on our chairs here is on page 527, page 527. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. We mention this every Sunday in the lobby. There are Bibles on our bookcase. You can feel free to take one uh, as a gift from us to you. Proverbs chapter 1, I'll read verses 20 through 33. Here, King Solomon writes, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and wouldn't have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock with terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, 
then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Here's the theme of this portion of Proverbs 1. The invitation of wisdom is public, urgent, and persistent. The invitation of wisdom is public, urgent, and persistent. And now I'm going to organize our time in this passage by teasing out those three parts of the invitation. The invitation of wisdom is public, it is urgent, and it is persistent. So that's just a a basic outline of our time together. First, the invitation of wisdom is public. Let's look again together at verses 20 through 23. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Notice the location of Lady Wisdom's invitation. What's the location? Over and over and over again. She cries loud in the streets, in the markets. She raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Streets, markets, city gates, the highways and byways of public life where people intersect one another, where they are there, people of all shapes and sizes, every tribe, nation, and tongue, every background, all hear the invitation of Lady Wisdom. Come, come and receive. This is a public invitation. She's deliberately going out to where people gather such that all of them can hear and receive this precious of gifts, the wisdom of God. No matter their class, no matter their background, no matter their ethnicity, all are being addressed. This invitation for wisdom is for everyone. People from every strata of society, from every tribe, from every tongue are invited to receive wisdom. But what is this wisdom? How do you define wisdom? Well, we need to lean into what Alex Grant preached on last Sunday. He answered this question for us based on Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is the root of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Now, friends, this does not mean that you cower in trepidation, fearing a lightning bolt from the Lord's hand from heaven striking you down. That, that's not what the fear of the Lord is. No, this is a right and healthy reverence and awe of the Lord that leads to your trust in the Lord. 
It's a healthy understanding of who he is, his power and holiness, and who you are, your lack of power and unholiness that leads you to cling to him, to trust in him, to rest in him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It is healthy. You see, it drives us to worship, to trust in this all-powerful Lord, not a cowering before him, rather something that causes us to draw near to him and to trust in him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It may be helpful to think of the opposite here. What is the opposite of the fear of the Lord? If the fear of the Lord is a reverent awe of God that leads us to trust in God, well, the opposite would be indifference or rebellion against God that leads us to trust in ourselves. That's the opposite of the fear of the Lord. That's what folly is, an indifference towards God, or worse, an a rebellion against God that leads us to just trust in ourselves and operate in self-reliance. There are two ways to live, two paths to take. And the book of Proverbs over and over again spells them out. The way of wisdom versus the way of folly. The way of wisdom rooted in a reverent awe of God that leads to trust in God. The way of folly is indifference and rebellion toward God that leads you to trust in yourself and to do life your own way. The way of folly is being wise in your own eyes or to operate out of your own devices and strength. That's the way of folly, to be wise in your own eyes, to look to God, the all-powerful one who delights to give you good things and to put your hand in refusal to him, no thanks, God, I've got this. I can handle this. I remember when I was 16, in trepidation, learning how to drive. So my dad took me to, to my high school where you can go nothing but five miles per hour along the school. And we did parallel parking, three-point turning, pulling into parking spaces in the many, many parking spots. There's no other cars there when we would go to make sure I wasn't hitting anybody or anything. And I just remember having a healthy fear of what I was doing, scared, wanting to be diligent and dutiful and learn this. But imagine if I said, hey, Dad, I don't, I don't need you. I've got this. I'm just going to go out on Interstate 80. I've got this. Folly, being wise in my own eyes, thinking that I can do it apart from my instructor, from my leader. That's the essence of, of folly, saying, I've got this. And how often in our lives do we say to God, I've got this, thank you very much. All the while, this good, good father is holding out his good instruction to us, and we just say, no thanks, I've got this. Beware the folly of being wise in your own eyes. Lean in to the instruction of your Lord, even when, especially when it doesn't make sense. That's when you most need it. He's good. He's good. He delights to give his wisdom. It is to these simple-minded people, foolish people, that Lady Wisdom cries out publicly to us. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? You can hear Lady Wisdom's plea, her passionate plea for people to heed the call to come 
in response to the invitation. How long will you walk apart from God in foolishness? How long will you scoff? Will you turn your nose up at his good gift of wisdom and live independently from him? How long? Her heart aches for people who are foolish to move off that path of foolishness and choose the way of wisdom. How long? How long? You hear her plea, her passion for the foolish. Her heart aches for people to take a different path, to walk a different and better way, the way of wisdom. She holds out that better way in verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, my correction, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. What a glorious promise. If you turn and hear and come and receive this wisdom, I, I will give it to you. My spirit, my very character will come upon you. Now, this is an invitation to turn to the Lord, to, to repent, to do a 180 degree turn morally. That's what this is. Turning from folly to wisdom, turning from self to God, that's the picture of repentance. It's doing a 180. You're on a path apart from him and you do a 180 and you turn to the path with him. You see, Lady Wisdom serves as a mouthpiece of God, a representative of God. Uh, she speaks on God's behalf to sinners and in so doing, she serves as a type or a pointer to the ministry of Jesus Christ who likewise came to offer a glorious invitation to sinners. Come, repent of your sin and receive forgiveness. This was the theme of Jesus Christ's preaching ministry. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. It is at hand upon my ministry. Repent and receive the good news. Believe in me. Follow me. Jesus picks up where Lady Wisdom leaves off. For that is the wisest of all paths, is to follow Christ. Receive the, the gift of the gospel. The ultimate invitation of wisdom is to come in faith to Jesus Christ. That's where Proverbs is taking us like a highway. Because Jesus is the end of wisdom, the ultimate wisdom. And this invitation from wisdom is for all people. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue. It is for everybody. It is for you for me today, if we would just receive it. This invitation of wisdom is public. Secondly, this invitation of wisdom is urgent. It is urgent. Let's just trace the urgency in verses 24 through 32. Let's look together there. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you and when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind and when distress and anguish come upon you. The stubborn refusal to heed the call of wisdom leads to disaster. That's the urgency here. The end game of self-reliance, the way of folly is disaster. Lady Wisdom speaks of it in no uncertain terms. She is crystal clear. 
The end game of a life lived apart from God, directed by self, for the gratification of self, leads to regret, anguish, calamity, disaster, destruction. That, that's, that's what awaits those who say to God, thank you very much, I've got this for a lifetime. That's what you await. That's your destination. There's a sobriety to this passage. There's an urgency in this passage. And Lady Wisdom is speaking hard words to, as to wake us from our spiritual stupor. Her voice is prophetic, like, like the prophets of the Old Testament who speak hard truths, urging God's people, their idolatrous people, to repent, to jolt them from their spiritual stupor. Dis disaster awaits rebellion against God. This invitation is just ratcheted up with urgency. There's an uncomfortable laughing here. Lady Wisdom's laughter at the calamity that strikes the foolish is not a heartless laughter. We've already seen her passionate plea, how long, O simple ones. She wants the foolish to turn and receive wisdom. So this is not like, ha, 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 you're getting what you deserve. Sort of a, a, a gloating or a glorying in their outcome. We've seen her passion already. Rather, this is a laughter, an expression of the absurdity of choosing folly over wisdom. She's exasperated in this foolish choice. She's incredulous. It leads her to, to laugh of sorts. As if, how, how could you choose folly over wisdom? It's an expression of exasperation over such an absurd decision that has been made. How could you make that decision? And the urgency continues to escalate. Verses 28 and following, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Uh, they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, do not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. The image here is that of an hourglass that has run out. Time is up. The day of reckoning has come. That's the image. Time is up. The invitation has expired. The window of opportunity to repent has now closed. It is a sobering Reality, a haunting reality here. This time is up imagery is used often in the Old Testament by the prophets, again, to jar them out of spiritual complacency, to help them see their need of repentance and change. Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet, also employs this imagery of time running out. Consider his sobering sermon in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51. I'm going to read a portion of Jesus' sermon. Just hear the urgency and see how it's intended to, to sober people up. It's a parable of servants who are entrusted to steward a master's property. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them, the other servants, 
members of the household their food at proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes dutifully. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Faithful servants rewarded by a good master. But if that wicked servant says to himself, oh, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in the, with hypocrites in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you hear the urgency, the sobriety? Unfaithful servants will face a day of reckoning when the master comes at a day and a time that they do not know. And that's how God is going to come back. That's how the Lord Jesus is going to come. At a day and an hour that no one expects. And at that point, the last sand in the hourglass will drop. And it will be too late. That's the reality that Jesus speaks of and that Lady Wisdom also speaks of in Proverbs chapter 1. It's a penetrating parable to jolt people from their spiritual stupor. There is a day of reckoning, a day when Jesus returns and will reconcile all accounts. We have to live sober lives, brothers and sisters, because there is a day when the last sand drops and we need to be ready to stand before the Lord Jesus as he reconciles accounts. Do not be foolish and act as though you can live your life your own way, directed by self, gratifying self, and expect to blissfully skate into eternity and nothing will happen to you. That is folly. Proverbs goes on to say in chapter 14, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that seems right, that feels right to a person living in this world, but in the end, it leads to death. Friend, don't be misguided by your own feelings by your own sense of how things ought to be, by your own moral compass, for it is corrupted by your sin. There's a way that seems right to you, but in the end, its destination is death. Don't follow it. You and I need a new compass, and that compass is the word of God that confronts us in our sin and shows us the way forward. That's why we sit under the preaching of God's word faithfully each week, because we need instruction we need a new compass. We need new guidance because there is a way that seems right to us in our own human intuition, in our own calculus. But in the end, that way leads to death. Don't follow it. Don't follow it. Urgency is everywhere in verses 24 through 32. And the consequence for rejecting God's invitation to receive this wonderful wisdom is severe. I mean, the result is crushing over and over again. And as Beth said, this is a heavy passage, a sobering passage. But it's the severity of the consequence of our sin and folly that makes the truth of the gospel so sweet. So yes, it is severe, but let that severity trust you to cause you to trust all the more in the sweetness of the gospel. Because what Jesus does is bear all of our consequence for us on the cross. That's the sweetness of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and is crushed for us. 
He is crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He bears it all. Everything that I deserve because of my sin, everything that you deserve because of your sin, Jesus bears it all. All of these haunting realities, all the anguish and agony that we see in Proverbs 1, Jesus shoulders at the cross. And if you would trust in him, he is like a cosmic sponge that absorbs every ounce of God's wrath that you deserve. And there's only mercy left over for you. Well, if you would trust in him, if you would trust in him, the wisest choice you and I will ever make in this life is to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. The wisest choice that we will ever make is to receive Jesus. The invitation of wisdom is public. The invitation of wisdom is urgent. Thirdly and finally, the invitation of wisdom is persistent. It is persistent. Let's look again at verses 32 and 33. Lady Wisdom says, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. What a wonderful way to end a heavy passage. Even in the face of all that rebellion, all that obstinance, all that hard-heartedness, how does Lady Wisdom end? Oh, she is persistent with the invitation. One more time. One more time, and I pray you hear it. One more time. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. D.L. Moody once said, I wish I could stand at the gates of hell and one more time hold out an invitation. Just one more time. As people were slip sliding away into that place because of their rebellion. Oh, just to stand there. Oh, come. Come and receive Christ at the last hour. She is persistent. In the very end, one more time, one more time, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. She continues with her persistent plea. Praise God for his persistence with us. Praise God for his patience with us. Oh, he's been patient with you. Listen, when you're, when you're tempted to grow impatient, and we all are, with the extra grace required people in our lives. That, that's actually all of us, but all of us can think about people that, oh my goodness, I can't endure with this person anymore. Just think about how patient the Lord has been with you. He's not treated you as your sins deserve. He is exceedingly patient. He long suffers with you in your immaturity and mine, in your spiritual folly. He is patient and persistent with you. That's his heart for you. Let me share another picture of God's patient, persistent heart for you. This is the prophet Isaiah. The Lord speaks through Isaiah in Isaiah 65, verse 2. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long, I hold out my hands. This is the posture, the gesture of an invitation. Please come. Please come. All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, who are wise in their own eyes. All day long, the Lord says, oh, please come. Don't go that direction. Please come. Like a loving father would do his child who's going on a, a rebellious path. Oh, please come. All day long, I'm holding out my hands. 
Do you hear God's heart for you? Do you see his heart for you? He wants you to come to him. What better way to start a new year? Don't live in accordance with self. Don't seek to be self-reliant, to gratify your own selfish desires. Walk with the Lord who says, come. Come and receive wisdom. He holds out his hands. He holds out his very heart to you and to me and says, won't you come? Won't you come? He's an inviting God. He passionately pursues sinners. He holds out his gracious hands and invites us to come. And through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, he's given us the ultimate invitation to come and receive forgiveness and eternal life. And we regularly are invited to come to his table, the place of fellowship. We have a place at the table with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning we have an opportunity to celebrate that and to remember that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a place at his table. You're invited this morning to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we're so glad that you're here. We would love to journey with you and come alongside you and share the gospel with you that you could come and trust in him and have a place at his table. So in a moment, I'm going to lead us in receiving the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you've not received the bread and the cup little combination packet, uh, there are plenty in the lobby where the name tags are on that counter. Please feel free to, to go and grab one of those. Uh, but in these moments, we, we join together with Christians throughout the ages and throughout cultures and the globe who remember and reflect on the good news of Jesus Christ, who came, who was incarnate, who bore our penalty on the cross, who rose again from the grave, offering forgiveness and eternal life to all who'd receive it. A most glorious invitation. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives, for your glorious invitation and offer to come to you through faith in Jesus Christ. We need not fear and live in trepidation when we set our eyes on your provision of your son, Jesus. We have a pathway to you. We can approach you with confidence because of the work of Christ, not because of our own work, but because of his work alone for us. It is finished was your cry at the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Wisdom is found in you, ultimately. Teach us, Lord, to trust in you each day. Guard us in 2023 from living in accordance with the flesh, uh, with our own just sense of intuition and where we should go. God, help us to be soft-hearted, not obstinate, but soft-hearted ready to be led and directed by you. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.